for us. And we're doing that since that's the text that we're in as we have been looking at the final days of Jesus' life. And if you have your Bible, you open it to Matthew 26, and that's where we're going to be, Matthew chapter 26. In fact, you will notice as we come to Matthew 26 that what has occurred is that in the Gospel of Matthew, he has fast-forwarded us to the, the final hours of Jesus' life. We're in the final day uh, as Jesus is, is gathered his disciples together. And he, as we had ended in our last lesson, he has uh, told and identified that, that Judas uh, has, has been meeting with those chief priests and he's met with those religious leaders and he's asked them, what will you give me if I betray Jesus over to you? And they offer him now 30 pieces of silver. And we were told as we looked at it last time that now Judas is going to look for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And that sets up where we are now in Matthew chapter 26. Uh, you will notice there in verse 17 of Matthew 26 that we are told that it is the first day of unleavened bread. And the disciples now are, are coming to Jesus and they say in verse 17, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, the time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. I want you to see that we have a setup here in verse 17, and this background is very important, is that verse 17 tells us that this is the first day of unleavened bread. That is a feast that lasted seven days, and on that first day was when the Passover would take place. So the Passover initiates the start of this seven-day unleavened feast. And what we are told in the scriptures is that the purpose of the Passover and the purpose of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, along with many of the other uh, festivals that God had prescribed, was to remember that they had come out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, with the strong hand that the Lord brought them out of that place. And so there was supposed to be no leaven then as a reminder of that. That was part of that Passover and Unleavened Bread Memorial, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Remember your oppression, but remember what God did. Remember his mighty works. Remember the plagues. Remember the parting of the Red Sea. Remember the overthrowing of the Egyptian nation, how God led you out by a mighty hand. That is the overtone of what would be taking place during the Passover. It is a time of remembering his powerful deliverance. And I want you to think about how when they would have gathered together for the Feast of Unleavened Bread and they would have gathered for this Passover, this would have been a time of celebration. You are remembering that God sets you free. You are remembering the way things used to be, how you were slaves in Egypt. And now God had delivered you and God had rescued you and given you freedom. And it was now a whole new way of life for them. And they're remembering that as they had that Passover feast and as they're celebrating what God had accomplished for them. And in the midst of this preparation, I want you to notice some of the words of verse 18, because I want you to notice after the disciples, they say, now, where should we get ready for this Passover? 
Jesus doesn't just simply say, okay, I've got this pre-prepared. There's somebody who's got a room and you tell him that we're coming and we're going to celebrate the Passover. Notice one thing that's very important here in verse 18 when he says, my time is near. Jesus knows what, what this all means. And Jesus knows exactly what's about to happen. Jesus is fully aware of how these events are going to unfold. There are no surprises here. There is no being taken off guard. Jesus knows this is it. Jesus knows that this is his last time. And he even now tells it to his disciples. My time is near. This is going to be our last gathering for this feast and directs his disciples then to go and do this. Now, I want you to get a visual of how this would have looked in verse 20. It says, now, when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the 12. Please underline that. We have the 12 there. In verse 21, he, as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, I want you again, imagine the backdrop that we have the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover is a time of celebration, a time of remembrance, of looking at what God had done for them. And in the midst of this day, when you are to be remembering how you were slaves in Egypt and God took you out by a mighty hand, Jesus says these words, one of you, one of you is going to betray me. Verse 22 says, and they were very sorrowful. And they began to say to him, one after another, is it I? You can just imagine how this time around the table just took a sudden shift in tone. From Passover, remembering that God freed us, to Jesus saying, it's not just simply my time as is at hand. And it's not just simply what Jesus has tell, been telling his disciples that I'm going to be handed over and I'm going to be crucified. We saw that earlier in, in chapter 26. Remember Jesus taught it and a woman comes and she anoints Jesus preparing for the burial. So Jesus has been emphasizing, my time is coming. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be crucified. But now to put one more layer on it. One of you is going to do it. One of you is going to be the catalyst to make that ball roll. One of you. And can you imagine, just put yourself in the room, what you're thinking? And you can imagine kind of looking around at everybody else silently. In fact, one of the other gospel accounts says they all just kind of looked at each other. You can just imagine you're going, all right, well, which one of you is going to do this? I do think it's something to think about. The verse does not say, and 11 of them said, oh, Judas is the guy. Man, that guy's been sinister from day one. We knew it, that guy. Oh, yes, definitely. Nobody. They all say to Jesus, is it me? Surely not me. I'm not going to be the one to do this. 
And I want you to imagine this going around the table in verse 22, because it says they said to him one after another. So you can imagine Peter. Is it me? And then maybe John's next. And then maybe James. Is it, is it me? Surely not me. You can imagine Bartholomew and Thomas and just moving around the table, everybody asking him, can't be me. It's not. It's me. Is it? Is it me? And I want you to just catch verse 25. Even Judas said, is it me? And notice Jesus says back, you said it. All of them around the room. Surely not me. You mean me? And even Judas steps into that and says, me too? And Jesus goes, yeah, it's you. You're going to be the one who's going to betray me. You're the one who's setting these things in motion. And you can imagine how verse 24, I hope, would have sounded The son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the son of man is betrayed, for it would have been better that this man, if he had not been born. It's almost like Jesus is trying to communicate through to him here this last time. Like, what you've done is disastrous. This this is awful that you have done this, that you have chosen to hand me over for such money. You are trading away the, the gift of life. And so he offers up that warning. And now we are told in the midst of this tension that would have existed at the moment. That Jesus now begins to take the elements. And I want you to notice in verse 26 that we're told. He says there, as they were eating, Jesus took bread And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take eat. This is my body. I want us to get a sense of what's happening here in in this moment and get a feel for it. It is now as all of that information is unfolded and, and you can just imagine the processing of all of this and the weight of all of this and this meal that they are having. Jesus now takes a moment while they are eating and he takes this bread and he, and he holds it up. And you can imagine him, him holding this up and beginning to, to say these words as, as this unfolds. And the first thing I want you to notice, as it says that he took bread, here we were told just a few verses earlier that it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And you might wonder, why when we partake is it this thin, funny bread? This is the reason why. Is because we're told this is the first day of unleavened bread. All of the rising agents had to be out of all of the homes. And so in partaking of a Passover, you would not have had normal bread with yeast. It would be unleavened bread. And so when we partake, that's the reason why we have unleavened bread, because that is what they did. But before he does anything else, I want you to notice it says there in verse 26, he took it and he said, and after blessing it. Now, I want to talk about that for a minute, because I think sometimes we can have a false idea of that. If you're blessing something in the scriptures, you are offering praise and thanksgiving for it. 
And that's what he's doing is he's offering a prayer to God and he is praising and thanking God for what this symbolizes. And that's the idea of blessing it. That was what a blessing is all about is, is going before God and saying, here's what this represents. Here's what this ultimately means. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. For what this is going to mean. And he says what it is. Verse 26. He says take eat. This is my body. Now one other important layer. About what this would have meant to them. In that moment. If he were sitting in that room. In that upper room. With Jesus and his disciples. Is that in the Passover. The bread already had a symbolism to it. We are told in Deuteronomy chapter 16 and verse 3 that that bread that would be eaten in the Passover was called the bread of affliction. It was to remind them of their affliction, of their suffering, of their oppression while they were slaves in Egypt. And I want you to imagine for a moment him taking the bread and now turning the meaning of it. What used to be the bread of your affliction, how you were oppressed, how you were enslaved, how you were suffering at the hands of the Egyptians. He now turns it and says, actually, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to remember me. I want you to eat this. And I want you to remember that this is my body. And there's a moving then from it being about a remembrance of their affliction in Egypt to the affliction of what Christ is about to go through. The shifting of suffering moves off of them. And now he says, you remember my body. And when we are taking the bread and he says, this is my body, then we are remembering that this is the body that was given for us. We are remembering the horrors Of what we are about to read that Jesus is going to endure. Lord willing, over the next few weeks, we'll get to slowly walk through the final hours of Jesus' life. And we're going to read about the mocking. And we're going to read about the scourging. And we're going to read about a crown of thorns being pressed into his head. And we're going to read about nails that are being driven through his hands and through his feet. We're going to be read about him being lifted up and crucified. We're going to be remembering his suffering and affliction. And what Jesus is doing in the bread is saying, I don't want you to forget that this is my body that was given for you. I'm sacrificing my life for you. It makes sense that he would request this. We're often have a problem of forgetfulness, don't we? We do have a problem of forgetfulness. I, I think even as humans, we recognize that and why we from time to time establish various memorials for various events. Because we know That if we don't establish a memorial, we are not going to remember. 
And we certainly know that future generations are not going to remember. It's not hard to see that from the various events. I think about what Pearl Harbor Day would have meant a long time ago. And as I'm a kid, when Pearl Harbor Day came around, I was like, I mean, the black and white photos that I see from time to time. Because it would just slide out of memory. Or you think about the intensity of what our memorials looked like on September 11th, on 2002, one year later, and 03 and 04, and what that looked like versus now what we do. We have the tendency to forget. And we have the tendency to lessen the meaning of what happened as time goes on. And Jesus is clearly aware of that. And that's why for his final moments to gather with his disciples, to take the bread and say, don't forget. Don't forget that this is my body that is being given to you, that is suffering for you, that is dying for you, that is going through this whole process for you. And so the bread should have that element to us. We are remembering all that comes with the body of Christ. But I think it is also fascinating to notice that verse 26 is not the end of the memorial. It seems like that would be fitting, right? Remember me. Remember my body. Remember my sacrifice. Remember my suffering. The bread of affliction is now not of your affliction, but of my affliction. But I want you to notice he doesn't stop. That in verse 24, we're told that now he takes a cup. And we aren't told specifically right here in this verse, but you will notice in verse 29, he states the contents of the cup as the fruit of the vine. And I remember as a kid asking my dad, well, does that mean it can be any fruit of the vine? Can we get bananas and we can, you know, what? Why? we'll just, fruit of the vine, right? Wide open. He goes, no, no. And I had to look it up because I don't trust my dad, but I <laughs> look it up. Fruit of the vine is idiomatic in the first century of you're talking about grapes. That, you're talking about grapes. And so fruit of the vine would represent what would come out of the grape. And that is why we have Grape juice when we partake, because that's what they would have had is the fruit of the vine at that time. And he even states that. And I want you to notice in verse 27, it says when he had given thanks. And I want to observe two things with that. Number one, I want you to see that blessing it and thanksgiving are synonymous here, aren't they? He blessed it in the prior verse. And now here he says he gave thanks. It is one and the same thing. It is not that we are asking God to do something special to the elements, to do something to it. Rather, we are thanking God for the memorial that we are partaking of. And I do want to emphasize that for a moment. Is that this, when we come to the table and are a part of this memorial is our opportunity in our prayer to be laser-focused on Christ. We have the opportunity to pray for a lot of different things at a lot of different times, and we can pray for those things even in our assemblies as we start, as we finish, at various times throughout our assembly and worship. 
But I submit to you right here when Jesus is taking the bread and taking the cup, he is zeroing in on a thanksgiving to God about what these things mean. That the bread will represent the body given. And the cup, you will notice, he says in verse 27, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. Something different he uses here. I think it is interesting that he doesn't say this also should represent my body. But rather, he says, this is the blood of the covenant. And if you've been with us on Sunday nights, we have spent the month of January talking on Sunday nights about what the blood of the covenant meant in the scriptures. Lord willing, we're going to put another layer on it tonight. But obviously right now I can't do 120 minutes of sermons about the blood of the covenant that I've been doing on Sunday nights up to this point. So allow me to summarize what I've been trying to accomplish with it in this. That the blood of the covenant represents the effect of the death. And you will notice that's exactly what he says. In verse 28, he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. His blood is ratifying and sealing a new covenant, which is the means by which we can have forgiveness. It's the means by which we can have relationship with God. It is his death that puts this covenant into effect that redeems us and makes us his children. And so I submit to you that as we come to the cup, there is a shift of focus. That it's not just merely think of his death again. It's not just merely think of his body and his suffering again. But there is a movement to the impact and effect of what the sacrifice means. For us. And I think that's a powerful picture that's given to us. In fact, have you ever noticed that the Lord's Supper seems to have an implicit tension to it? Sometimes the one who's leading us will lead us and he will talk about the intensity of the suffering and the sacrifice and the pain and the blood and the nails and the mocking and the scourging. And we are moved to deep sorrow as we think about all that he endured, and rightly so. But have you ever noticed sometimes we'll come to the table and there will be a discussion about resurrection, about life, about reconciliation, about forgiveness that is accomplished. That there is a positive element and sometimes we're coming to the table And we're remembering the joy that comes to us because of the sacrifice. And rightly so. Because there is an intended tension in the memorial. In fact, the Passover had that very same tension. I mentioned to you that the Passover was to be a celebration of how God had rescued them from being slaves in Egypt by a mighty hand. And yet one of the elements was eating a bread of affliction. You have in, in, an intended intention of, of reminding them, don't forget the pain and the sorrow and the affliction while at the same time celebrating. Look at how God rescued you. We just mentioned here in this moment that there's a tension. 
Jesus has brought them into the upper room. They're remembering the Passover, a celebration of God's deliverance. And then Jesus says, but one of you has betrayed me. And the very next words that we were told is that in verse 22, they were all sorrowful. And begin to say, is it I? There was a tension between the Passover and the betrayal. And I submit to you as well that we have the same tension when we come to the table that God intended for us to have. That here as we gather this morning, as we do every Lord's Day, that we come to the table and we are called to remember our Lord and Savior, that we first are taking the bread and what we are calling to mind is the body of Christ. And we are remembering why he came and why he suffered and all that he endured and every bit of how that body was given because of us. And friends, there's a, there's a sorrow in that. There's a weight that comes when you read and think about the betrayal and the arrest and the scourging and the trial and the nails and the cross. There is an amazing weight of what we are recalling to mind. And as Jesus says, take eat, this is my body. May whatever aspect of that element you want to bring in about his body that you bring it in. And you think and weigh carefully about how he gave his life for you. And that all that he had to go through and all that he experienced and suffered. So that this could be possible. These things were necessary. Wouldn't have been a different story if the whole point of Jesus coming was he comes to this earth and then he goes to sleep one night and he just decides that that'll be the end. Couldn't go that way. Jesus was walking around saying, don't you know that the son of man has to suffer? Don't you know the son of man has to go through these things? That this is part of the process. And Jesus is asking us not to forget. But then he comes to the cup. And says, this is the blood of the covenant. And friends, I don't know how to be sorrowful about the covenant that we get to be in. There is something that is wonderfully amazing. To think about what the effect of his death did for us. We can be forgiven. We've been set free from our sins. We are now children of God. We have the hope of eternal life. We now no longer have to be outsiders, but are drawing near to him without fear. The 
unbelievable nature of this new covenant that we enjoy cannot be overstated. And when Jesus says, take the cup, this is the blood of the covenant. He's saying to us, never forget the effect of what I did. Never forget what I've accomplished for you. Never forget how this makes you children of God. And what a time of praise that gives to us to thank God for what he's done so that we can be his people. What we now are going to do is we are going to come to the table and we are going to take the bread and we are going to take the cup. And may we keep these concepts in our hearts and in our minds. It is a powerful memorial. It is a wonderful memorial that that Jesus has given to us. And And I hope in some way each week as we come together and partake that we'll be able to keep those ideas in our mind that we will think about how he came for us and what he accomplished for us. And what a beautiful thing that we get to observe and remember every first day of the week. That's not where he ended in his discussion. I would like to draw your attention back to Matthew 26 and look at one more thing that Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 29, Jesus said, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. What Jesus does in this memorial is amazing because here is something that is different in a memorial than any other person could ever do. Sometimes we come to the table and we think about the sacrifice and we think about what Jesus has done. And it is sometimes treated as if it is almost like a memorial for a fallen hero. We think about, well, he died, and so we have this memorial to remember that he died. But I want you to notice verse 29 carefully, because you will notice that Jesus does not indicate that he believes he's going to stay dead. In verse 29, he says, I'm not going to drink this again, and it's not period, because I'm going to die really soon. I'm not going to drink it again until I drink it new with you. In my father's kingdom. He knew he wasn't staying in the grave. And what we are doing as we come to the table is not simply remembering someone who gave his life, but we are celebrating a risen savior. As Jesus knew three days later after he laid down his life, he would not stay in that grave. And it is his resurrection that changes everything for us. And for him to say these words is absolutely powerful. It is just as powerful as Frank reminded us out of Isaiah 53. A couple sentences earlier, Isaiah's prophesied that even though he's going to be laid in a tomb and he's going to give his life, somehow he's going to see these offspring and his days are going to prolong. There is this this hope, this confidence, this declaration that is not just simply that he died but that he will live again. And so sometimes when we talk about Jesus, we talk about it like this, that Jesus died so that you would have life 
And I would like to submit to you that that's a little bit incomplete. That what Jesus put forward for us is that he died and rose so that you would die to your old life and raise to a new life in eternity with him. He led the way. He was the trailblazer. He died. He rose. And we remember that. And it is a proclamation of our hope that when we die, we will be raised with him. But will you give your life to Jesus today? Will you put to death the old self? Will you lay that old way of life in the ground and bury it with dirt upon dirt, never to rise again, so that you will live a new life for your Savior who gave his life for you and brought about a redemption, brought about forgiveness, brought about new life, and brought about a new hope of eternity with him? It all culminates in the fact that Jesus did this because he wants you in eternity with him. He wants you there. He died so that you would die. And he rose so that you would rise to a new life. Will you do that today before it's too late? Would you take advantage of the opportunity today to give your life to Jesus and say it's a time for a new life? It's time to put to death that old self. It's time to follow him faithfully. It's time to serve him. It's time that I quit doing the things that I know I should not be doing. I need to get rid of the life of sin. Today is the day. We've been talking about through the month of December and now into January. We love January because it's time for new ways, new habits, new life, new start. We, that's why we love this month. No better new start, no better new way than right now joining Jesus. Turn away from sin. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins and start walking with him right now. If you've done that and you look at your life and you go, I I let that old self come back to life. Today's the day to kill it. Today's the day to put it back in the ground, to renew your life with Christ today, to seek his forgiveness. If you want to make that known that we can be praying for you and with you, we're happy to do that. You let us know how we can serve you spiritually. Talk to us afterward or you can come forward right now while we stand and while we sing.